Welcome back in, everybody. Latest edition of the TopHeavyweights.com podcast. I am the somewhat competent, somewhat rested host of the show, TJ Reeves. He is Sean from TopHeavyweights.com. Back aboard, we've got heavyweight results. We've got heavyweight history. We've got heavyweight fights coming up. And this is your destination right here for anything that's going on in the heavyweight division. As part of the Big Fight Weekend podcast feed, Top Heavyweights has it, their website, this podcast. Sean, how you feeling as we're ready to do another show right about now? TJ, feeling good. It's good to see you, and I look forward to reviewing what's going on. It's the shifting sands of the heavyweight division, and stuff is happening. Never a dull moment. So we're going to go by means of recap backwards. Then I promise we're going to go way back. Sean's got a little vignette, little vignette coming here to give you. The, the month of June always is big around the heavyweights, and the time period that we're releasing this podcast, a lot of old school like 1930s stuff, which I'm actually into the nostalgia. And they made the movie Cinderella Man with Russell Crowe about one of these fights. So we'll get into all of this stuff on the nostalgia with Sean and some heavyweight anniversaries for the month of June. You do realize, young man, that as we sit here in the month of June, the 25th anniversary is coming of Evander Holyfield, Mike Tyson, Bite Night. That was 25 years ago, 1997. So at the end of the month, that is coming. So we don't have to do the nostalgia on that right now because we're kind of in the middle of the month. But I'm just putting that out there for the fans uh, that are hearing us. And by the way, however you found us, uh, whether it was a social media link through uh, Sean's site, topheavyweights.com, make sure that you are following or subscribing to this podcast feed, the Big Fight Weekend podcast feed, because that's when Top Heavyweights comes out. So if you're following or subscribing on Apple Podcasts, Sean knows this, I'm saying this to the audience, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, whenever we have a new one, Usually out midweek, you will get it without having to be told, prompted. You won't have to see it on a social media link. You will automatically get it on your device, a notification, a ding, a buzz, a light, whatever you have. We'll say, hey, new podcast with Sean and TJ from TopHeavyweights.com on the Big Fight Weekend feed. So make sure you're following or subscribing. We are glad. We are appreciative. What do you say we roll the sleeves up, young man, and go back to what we have seen recently i guess most prominently is the wba secondary heavyweight title fight that ended as i keep saying not unexpectedly with a daniel dubois knockout of trevor bryan this was in miami uh, florida this past weekend at the time that we released the podcast sean your thoughts on what we saw dubois a fourth round ko what happened was exactly what we said would happen and what most of the boxing experts said would happen uh, it was really a bizarre scene uh, you couldn't help but feel that um, Trevor Bryan and his promoter Don King were living in a parallel universe to some extent in the in the in the idea that Daniel Dubois was coming over as an untested unproven British heavyweight who hadn't proven himself to the level of Trevor Bryan which was just wasn't true uh, Trevor Bryan had operated at a level where his skills weren't really honed. If he had been in great shape, if he had been in challenging fights over the last four or five years, who knows? But the reality is he wasn't and he hadn't. And Daniel Dubois brought what he should have brought. And Trevor Bryan didn't belong in the ring with him. And Trevor Bryan, frankly, never really did enough to put himself into the top 50 heavyweights in the world, let alone claim to be a champion. That's just the truth. He was the WBA regular champion, and that probably shouldn't exist, but it does exist. Now Daniel Dubois has it. He'll parlay it into something else. It's really to the same level as an IBF international title or something like that. Uh, Mm -hmm. 
But Daniel Dubois did what he had to do. He went into hostile territory. He's made himself convincingly, I would say he's in the top 20, top 15. He's right there. And onwards. And for Trevor Bryan, uh, we'll have to see what happens. Uh, I'm not he sure. had been unbeaten, to pick up on your point, but yeah. obviously not anywhere near this competition level. I will joke with you because I did not share this with you. I did share it with Dan Raphael off the air. I had a Miami media friend that was around like the media weigh-in part. And when he saw Trevor Bryan step on the scale and, sh- and saw Trevor Bryan and how he looked, he said, if that guy is climbing to me off uh, off mic and on a text message, and I don't mind repeating it, if yeah. that guy's the heavyweight champ, I'm Aaron Judge, meaning the 6'7", 240-pound, built-like-a-Mack truck uh, baseball player for the New York Yankees. That was his metaphor that he, he's, <laughs> he was he's, so he similar. Yeah. He, Trevor Bryan was not the heavyweight champion. He wasn't a heavyweight champion. I mean, if the IBF creates the IBF regular belt or the IBF whatever belt, Does that suddenly mean that whoever they designate as champion is champion? No. There's two champions right now in the world. One recognized as number one, that is Tyson Fury. And you cannot take away from Oleksandr Usyk, who has three of the major organization belts. He is the unified heavyweight champion. Those two can claim to be heavyweight champions. Neither one of them is the undisputed heavyweight champion. But there are many belts out there. There's WBF, there's IBO, there's... Who knows what there is? And they're all over the world. And a lot of promoters, this is not a reflection of the sport. This is a reflection of greed and, um, and the need to sell tickets and to make money. A lot of promoters will take a title. They will put it with a fighter who's unproven and then have the fighter who's unproven fight someone who's even more unproven and claim it to be some sort of a heavyweight defense. I think topheavyweights.com and most of the world rankings that are outside of the belts show you clearly... You know, whether you're going to the ring, whether you're going to ESPN, whether you're going to um, oh, you can Showtime, on on. DAZN, Showtime. any yeah, of them. I mean, right. Look at any of the rankings, and that's the real rankings. Uh, you know, our rankings at heavyweight boxing, those rankings are really just a combination of the rankings that make sense. We're not mm-hmm. looking to disagree with anybody. We're not looking to make a statement. We just want to take what's realistic. If the WBA decides to take someone we've never heard of and is unproven and suddenly put them in their top 15, that's got no bearing on the world heavyweight rankings. That's their own internal politics, and they're doing it for the sake of uh, of a promoter or something else that's coming up. But as far as Trevor Bryan... Uh, he uh, he had his time in the non-sun, and uh, <laughs> and that's about it. It's I have respect for the man as a combatant, as a boxer, but he's his best weight is 235 pounds. If he wants to make it back, Don King's going to have to invest in him. He's going to have to come in. 40. He's going to have to fight some serious opponents that are less than Daniel Dubois, but more than what he was fighting before. And he's going to have to string together three or four victories. And that would probably take him three or four decades. So it's probably not going to happen. (laughs) I like the way you put that. So the logical follow-up, I want your input because you have great insight, is what's next for Dubois with the understanding than the qualifier, he's not going to get in front of Usyk or Joshua because more than likely the winner of that fight is next fighting Tyson Fury. So we're talking about a nine to 12 month process where Dubois is not getting in front of whomever has, and he shouldn't. Okay. That's fine. So, so in your mind, what should be next for him? Who would you like to see realistically him fight over the, the course of the next six to nine months Dubois we're talking about. 
Well, that's that's the thing. I mean, obviously, there's who we'd like to see him fight, and then there's who he most likely will fight because we understand there's different networks and different promotional outfits. It's very hard to cross over. He's with Queensbury, obviously a rematch with Joe Joyce, but I'm sure Joe Joyce probably wants nothing to do with that. He's been there, done it. Dillian White has been mentioned because Dillian White has to reaffirm himself after getting beaten convincingly by Tyson Fury, and I didn't expect it to be that. I thought it would be a couple more rounds. Um, so I think he's looking at Dillian White. There's also he could be he could look at an Odo Valin who's currently mm-hmm. you know unconnected. Ajit Kabiel is still floating out there. He hasn't fought. I mean, he's a he's a great heavyweight, and he's just been fighting one gimme a year for years now. So it's beyond. Let's touch on him for a yeah. second because yeah. not everybody may speak your language as you do on TopHeavyweights.com. But but Kabiel yeah. is a Kurd. And, and help me with my, all my lineages. He's a Kurd that is a German national. He's right. been fighting in Europe. He's fought a couple of times in England. He's fought mainly in Germany. He's undefeated. He's big. He's been in the WBC rankings. We have joked for a couple of years on Big Fight Weekend and the Big Fight Weekend podcast. This is the perfect opponent, air quotes, fight for Tyson Fury out of the WBC lot that's not a mandatory. So that has not happened yet. I am still of the belief that could happen, where if Fury wants a fight against an opponent, it might be a, a Jeet Caballel, yeah. all right? But you're suggesting maybe Caballel Dubois well, I think a lot because of it doesn't are... hurt either one of them to win that fight, right, Sean? Well, it would help a lot. I mean, Aja Caballel is hanging around for something. I guess he's hanging... Right now, I would assume, not knowing the inside story, that his backers don't have the money to get him a huge step-up opponent. So the other option is you wait till an opponent whose promoter has the money and you bring Ajit forward as the opponent. And that's what almost happened, as you said, with Tyson Fury. Um, yeah, and I it may going, still, it, it may, may still, still happen, like late, I, late this year or something. Who knows? Yeah, I think Tyson Fury, you have to take everything he says with a grain of salt. Again, I never bought this retirement speech. Now it's being taken away. As you know, um, on, on topheavyweights.com, we never covered his quote unquote retirement because we never thought it was real. And now that he's quoted uh, saying that he's coming out of retirement, we don't consider that to be a story either because he was never retired, you know? Uh, so Tyson Fury's playing fun games. I don't know. I'd like to think that he wants to fight for five or six more fights. That would be great. You know, Rocky Marciano defended the title. Why can't Tyson Fury defend the title? Look at uh, Kubrat Pulev. He just won against Jerry Forrest in May, and now he's coming back in July against um, Derek Chisora, which just goes to show these guys could fight every three months. We could have a schedule packed with activity, but it's it's the wait for the money type stuff mm-hmm. um, that's going on. But so, clearly, all right, let's bring it back. Dubois yeah. and Caballero are not in that position. They're not in that position status-wise or no. financially. It would make sense for both of them, if you could make it happen, to have that fight, let's say, here I am playing matchmaker on topheavyweights.com, yeah, yeah. the podcast. It would yeah. make sense to have that fight in, let's say, like September, if you wanted to, in the UK or in Germany, have that fight. Yeah. What is it? What If Dubois wins that fight, it only builds his resume. If Caballero uh, somehow beats him, it only enhances you for a title shot. Right. Well, I'll tell you right now, the people who will not, I, I would say Dubois would be, if the if the pay for both was what they want, let's leave that, let's assume that, I think Dubois would avoid that fight. I think Caballero has less momentum than Dubois. But again, see, you're quite, if Dubois wins that, 
against Cabayel, you are correct, his reputation, but more importantly, a win over Ajit Cabayel will develop him as a heavyweight and prepare him for what he's going to need to be if he's going to challenge the top five guys. You, If you... Like Jerry Cooney, we're going to talk about that a little later. If you spend your career building up towards a title shot with guys that really don't prepare you for what a title shot's going to entail, you're going to come a cropper when it comes time to take on the big man. So I think Daniel Dubois has to fight guys that are in the top 15, the top 25, at least a few of them between now and the time. Now, if he wants to sit on a WBA regular title and fight no hopers for a couple of years and... That's, that's the promoters being greedy, but he's only going to sell himself short. He's a young man. He should be taking on the best in his zone. And that's what I'd like to see happen. So Dillian White would be good. Obviously, Michael Hunter, we're going to talk about him a little later. Or we can talk about it right now. I mean, Michael Hunter's fight with Huey Fury has been postponed. Mm. And postponed to me means canceled because uh, you never really see postponed fights put back together a lot and, of the time. And am I correct? That's the second straight Michael Hunter fight that's now been postponed in this situation. So he's got to get a fight. And maybe maybe yeah. now you're onto something that Hunter gets in the mix because he's a- he... He fought on a matchroom show a couple of times. He's kind of a promotional free agent, but he yeah. could get back in the mix against a Dillian White, maybe get in the Queensbury mix for a Dubois. Something I, think Dan- I don't. I, Daniel Dubois, Michael Hunter would be an, an incredible fight. You got the boxer, you got the puncher, and uh, again, I think it's really Dubois and his people that are going to have to sit down and make the decision: Can we take out Michael Hunter? Big question. Mm. Not an easy fight. And uh, if Michael Hunter comes in there, he'll, I'm sure Frank Warren would ask for options. Um, but Dubois, I mean, I, the Trevor Bryan victory was fine. Uh, it was uh, the event of the weekend for the heavyweight division. Well, there was uh, the, other, the other one as well. But the point is, I think Dubois has to make a decision. Do you, does he want to massage his record and stay undefeated and guide his way towards a title shot? Or does he want to fight the kind of competition that when he gets to a title shot, he can actually win the title and hold it? That's up to him to decide and his people to decide. And uh, I hope it's the latter. Yeah, let's hope we get a better fight out of him down the road here because it's only going to enhance him. Because Trevor Bryan, that was, if not for that WBA title, that fight would not have been... It would have been considered the number 20 heavyweight in the world against the number 45 or 50 heavyweight in the world. And that's what it is. And that's all it was. Dubai gets the win there. All right, uh, one more. And then again, we're going to take a little historical uh, look back here with Sean on topheavyweights.com as we like to do. You wanted to say something. It's been a couple of weeks, but we've not done a podcast. What in the world happened to Junior Fa on the undercard of the George Cambosis Devin Haney uh, title bout in Melbourne, Australia, Australia, won by Haney, went in there, got a great road victory, right. tremendous road victory for him. But on the undercard, Lucas Brown, Scoring yep. a, a shocking first-round sledgehammer knockout. Your thoughts, please. I was wrong. I thought, I mean, this is what's great about heavyweight boxing, boxing in general. Lucas Brown took his future into his own hands. And if you've seen uh, Ken Norton knocking out Dwayne Bobick with that looping overhand right that he threw to knock out Bobick in the first round back in, uh, it was 77, <laughs> I believe. That, that overhand right, uh, Lucas Brown threw it, and he threw it hard. And I just think that uh, Junior Fa thought he would coast and and take Brown apart, and uh, this was a gimme. I thought it was a gimme. I thought it was dangerous. I didn't think Brown should be there. 
But that's what's beautiful. I'm wrong. Lucas Brown did it. He threw overhand rights that were looping. Some people question where they landed, but it has to be said that if Junior Faw hadn't turned his head, he wouldn't have been hit where he was hit. Well, right. And um, so, the, you know, it's generally hard to hit someone in the back of the head if you're standing in front of them. Um, so I just think Lucas Brown won. He won convincingly. He shocked the world. He's going to have paydays offered to him because there's going to be a lot of heavyweights who are going to think, sure, Lucas Brown threw that overhand right, but he won't do that against me. And that's a win I can get. And that's perhaps a more valuable victory for, for junior Fa, devastating. There's no other way to say devastating loss. Who knows? Maybe we'll see Junior Fa against Trevor Bryan, and the headline will be "We're Back." <laughs> I like the uh, I like the sarcasm. On that oh. note, on that note, Junior Fa is great. By the way, I don't want to say Junior Fa. Well, awesome. he wasn't he great just, that night in Australia, and I don't know if he gets back on the big stage. That's your no, whole point no, uh, on that. On the welcome back. All right. So speaking of back, let's go back in time with Sean from TopHeavyweights.com and do that now. This time in heavyweight boxing history. 87 years ago, June 13th, 1935, at Madison Square Garden Bowl, champion Max Baer loses his title to James J. Braddock in, at the time, what was considered to be the greatest upset since John L. Sullivan lost to Jim Corbett. The race was on to find the new number one contender 86 years ago when Joe Lewis, the undefeated phenom, took on what was considered to be fated ex-heavyweight champion Max Schmeling June 19th at Yankee Stadium in New York. Shock of all shocks, Max Schmeling wins by knockout and establishes himself as the number one contender. June 22nd, 1937, James J. Braddock loses his title by knockout to Joe Lewis, who had been beaten by Max Schmeling. But the champion, James J. Braddock, decided to defend the title against Lewis rather than risk losing it to Germany as the world was careening towards war. June 22nd, 1938, Yankee Stadium. Over 70,000 people watched Joe Lewis knock out Number one contender, Max Schmeling, in the first round. It was a geopolitical event. It brought the whole world in, and Joe Lewis, with his fists, fought for democracy. On June 20th, 1960, Floyd Patterson became the first man in heavyweight history to regain the heavyweight championship from Ingemar Johansson, who had scored a stunning knockout and shocked the world by knocking out Patterson in their previous bout. Patterson would go on to win the rematch. June 11th, 1982, Caesars Palace, Las Vegas, Nevada. Undefeated heavyweight champion Larry Holmes defends his title against undefeated number one contender Jerry Cooney. The fight had racial overtones and the entire world was watching the largest event up until that time in heavyweight history love love the nostalgia nice job my friend now a lot of it is going way back so uh but but, you know for younger fans you need to appreciate the heavyweight champion of the world truly took on its significance when as you were describing max schmeling uh was involved in it from germany from europe coming over to the united states to fight joe lewis beating him once then getting knocked out again this is 80 years ago the heavyweight championship of the world really began to take on world significance is my point with that it 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 became enormous it became i mean i mean first of all you had the big upset which happened in june uh, against uh, max bear who lost to jimmy braddock and that was a huge upset and braddock was brought in as 
a, a filler fight for the spectacularly popular Max Bear lost. And then, of course, uh, Bear lost later on to Joe. Uh, uh, Bear beat Max Schmeling. Right. And then Schmeling was used as a tune-up in the June of 19, uh, I believe it was 1936. Schmeling was used as a tune-up for the fast-rising Joe Lewis. He defeated Joe Lewis, and the new champion, Braddock, had to decide who to defend the title against. Uh, Schmeling was the number one contender, but Joe Lewis was American, and it was a much bigger paycheck for Jimmy Braddock to defend against Joe Lewis. And right. and I think Braddock made a deal with uh, Lewis's people that he would receive a residual of all of Joe Lewis's defenses going forward. So, And then, of course, Lewis won the title against Braddock. Again, in June, this time last, this time in history, 85 years ago. Then, of course, the big one, Lewis defending the title against Max Schmeling, Yankee Stadium, mm-hmm. 70,000 people. That was listened to by people around the world. Joe Lewis hammered Max Schmeling and confirmed himself as the undisputed and the champion of the world without any doubt. Lewis did not want to be called champion until he defeated Schmeling. Interesting. All right, so I have three things for you, and we rehearsed none of this, Sean of TopHeavyweights.com. Here we go. Number one, the movie Cinderella Man. I am a sucker for Russell Crowe, and anything that he's in from this to Gladiator to some of it, the Master and Commander where he's the captain of the ship. Uh, There's a great movie called The Insider where where it's it's about uh, the tobacco industry and about based on a true story on on whether or not the story was going to get told or not. Russell Crowe is fantastic in everything he does. He's tremendous as James J. Braddock, as Jim Braddock in Cinderella Man. That's my saying that. Do you, do you agree with that? I agree. I thought he did a great job. I wasn't thrilled with the fact that the movie made Max Bear out to be a bad guy because he's a truly jovial, nice guy. That's what he was. In fact, the, the, when he died in his 50s, as he started to fall over, he said, oh, well, here I go. That's allegedly his last words. That's his last words, allegedly. Okay, oh, well, oh, well here, here I go. I go. So, so anyways, I thought the movie was great. The only thing I thought was, first of all, the performance by Russell Crowe was awesome. He did a great job. The only thing about it that I sort of wondered about is why they cut out his last big fight against uh, Joe Lewis. Uh, they chopped that out of the movie. Because it's, ho- because, because it's Hollywood. It's Hollywood, Hollywood. and they have to build, build it up, yeah. build it up with Max Baer. So interesting, Ron Howard, famous yeah. American actor in the 70s and 80s, was the director of this and wanted to make the story, and they landed Russell Crowe. A uh, little Easter egg here, as I like to say, little yeah. breadcrumb, little go find it. Ron Howard's dad, he always had his family members in the movie. Ron Howard's dad is the ring announcer for the big Max Baer, James J. Braddock, when you ever see the movie again. Yeah, okay. Love Paul Giamatti as the manager. Uh, of J- of James J. Braddock oh, yeah, playing the true story, playing his manager that hawked everything, gave away everything and had no money trying to support Braddock and promote Braddock in the fight. So great movie on that. All right, let's move forward. You don't know this. We didn't rehearse this. Yeah. My first exposure as a little TJ to what Joe Lewis did to Max Schmeling came in about 1984. For, let's say 38 years ago now am i that old here's how it happened you're gonna love this i promise i don't oversell i'm at disney world the happiest place on earth in orlando florida and in the disney world main street where you're walking down the main street to the big cinderella castle and all of that 
they had an arcade, but it's this is not the the 1980s arcade you'd think of with all the video games and modern stuff. This is the old-timey arcade, like yeah. back in the past. In that old-timey arcade that had all these little different games, they had a kaleidoscope that you would crank. You put five cents in, a nickel, and you would crank it. I go over to crank it, and they've got a couple of choices of what you can watch. And one of the things you can watch on the kaleidoscope is Joe Lewis knocking out Max Schmeling in the one round where you sit and watch yeah. with the crank kaleidoscope for the audience visualizing this. Sean can see me. So I stood there and put the nickel in like five times. And I went back a couple of times to Disney World and watched it again. The famous first round knockout where he floored Max yeah. Schmeling three or four times, two or three times at least destroyed immediately him, destroyed and destroyed him in the first round. Can you visualize this, Sean, and the audience? Young TJ is there cranking so, a kaleidoscope. You, so you were looking yes, through the, yeah, yeah. My head through the little viewfinder, cranking the kaleidoscope and watching that knockout. That is my first introduction to that. Remember now, I grew up in a time with no internet. Sean did too. No YouTube to go back and watch this, to see old fights. We don't have ESPN Classic at that time or anything else. That was my first exposure to that fight. A comment on that, on a kaleidoscope? Yeah, you ever heard that before? Uh I have not heard about watching <laughs> past heavyweight or any heavy fights on a kaleidoscope. I can, I can imagine it and I can see why it would have been so popular. And that just goes to show how impactful Lewis Schmeling too was. It it was it was embedded in the in the culture and the minds of people as being a defining moment in the victory of, uh, of 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 American democracy and and the idea that going forward in life um people could win despite the circumstances well and and sure there were racial overtones that that world war ii was looming the whole hitler aryan race schmeling by the way very famously denounced all of that and said i want no part of that and so friend of joe lewis he was a great guy and so let's pick up on that point too they became such great friends even after lewis knocked him out in the rematch schmeling helped him how about this story? I don't know that you've ever heard this on Top Heavyweights. I'm full of stories. I'm full of something else, I think, too. But it's, ah, no, it's the no. Top Heavyweights podcast. Listen to this story. So I got to interview at one point Joe Lewis's son because of his involvement with professional golf and the PGA Tour. And I won't go down the road of all of it, but I got an interview opportunity with him. And I've heard Joe Lewis's son tell this story that Joe Lewis loved three things, maybe not in the right priorities. He loved boxing. He loved the game of golf, and he loved his family. And it would kind of maybe vary on what's the priority. And Joe Lewis, the son's story was Joe Lewis, the dad, would never leave the golf course for anything. He's like, Joe Lewis would never leave the golf course, no matter what you told him. Uh, He said, Joe Lewis was on the golf course when I was being born in the hospital, and he didn't leave till his round was over. That's Joe Lewis, the son's joke. Except that Max Schmeling had come into the country unexpected, like in the 1950s, let's say, had come into the country unexpected. Joe Lewis was playing a round of golf, and Schmeling sent word to him that he was in town and wanted to see him, and Joe Lewis left the golf course to go be with Max Schmeling. They were that big of friends and remained that big of friends all the way till Joe Lewis's death when Max Schmeling came back over from Germany and was one of the pallbearers at his funeral. What do you make of all of that, my friend? It it shows the 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 weight of the heavyweight championship of the world. I think when two guys compete at that level, Deontay Wilder, Tyson Fury, at that level, even if they have differing 
sides or perhaps they've got personal animosity or who knows what, but the respect they earn for each other in that apex of sport collision brings them closer together than people can understand. And I think that's something I don't understand. Uh, I think that history has shown that the top guys eventually become friends, especially the ones that have fought each other, because they got, they got to a place where they were very alone. It should be said, when Max Schmeling fought um, the first time uh, against um, uh, uh, Joe Lewis, he didn't. He got a lot of support from from his country after the fight. Mm-hmm. But if you look at the way he was treated, they were happy to be uh, cheerleaders for him after the fact. But when Max Schmeling was you know, before the first fight, they didn't give him much support. They only supported him when he was a winner. Uh, Joe Lewis got support from the public even after he had been defeated. And I think that um, Max Schmeling stood alone as a, as, a, as a decent man, a good man. He proved it. Mike Tyson, I've got great pictures of Mike Tyson and Max Schmeling together, or Tyson's holding him and helping him down the road or down the uh, stairs. Max Schmeling's a class act. Joe Lewis is a class act. And, um, what more can you say? And the story you tell makes total sense because for Joe Lewis, Max Schmeling's arrival would be um, would be huge. Yeah, the, they, the were, 50s, they, you know? they remained great friends all the way until Joe Lewis's death in the early 80s. And Max Schmeling lived into his like mid-90s, I believe, oh, yeah. and, and lived a long time, lived a long life. Uh, after and that, he, one and more. He, and, he, and he financially helped Joe Lewis a great deal. Absolutely, yeah. absolutely. Um, one more off your nostalgia is the 40th anniversary, my Lord, this month of Holmes Cooney. Yeah. Going back in time to 1982. All right, Sean of TopHeavyweights.com on the podcast. You kind of alluded to this. The argument can be made, and I think it's valid. Jerry Cooney's the most overrated, prominent heavyweight ever for the reason that he never won a significant heavyweight bout. For all the attention, for the massive amount of money that fight with Holmes made, Holmes knocked him out. The two most prominent fights he fought after that for the title or for one of the fights to be a title fight was yep. Michael Spinks got knocked right. out, yep. fought George Foreman, got knocked out. Yep. I've never met Jerry Cooney. Seems like a likable guy, but isn't it valid to make the point that he's potentially, if not correctly, the most overrated because his three biggest fights, he got knocked out in all of them. Huh, you know, it's tough. You know, uh, I would think that, yes, in some ways, he is the most overrated because he's been put into these high-level spotlight fights. He did... He did bring his best to the Larry Holmes fight. He unfortunately did not bring his best to the Michael Spinks. And I think by the time he fought Foreman, he was uh, a shell of who he even was before that. But, you know, you can say, but he's also underrated, I think, in the sense that had he been treated with a little more respect athletically in terms of his abilities, he was talking about before the Holmes fight, there was talk of him fighting Mike Weaver. Mm -hmm. uh, for the WBA title at the time. Now, I think it's a shame that didn't happen because he maybe might have done better. And if he had won that WBA title in a tough fight with Mike Weaver, it could have better prepared him for a unification fight against Larry Holmes. Um, I just think with Jerry Cooney, the unfortunate situation is that he never treated his athletic boxing career as a, it was treated as a money-making operation. How do of we course. get to the big, uh, the big payday? And and that phenomena happens with heavyweights all over the world, and has happened in history, recent history. In, but in a much more subtle way, I think in this case, because of the, the the racial overtones, and it's not so much the racial overtones; it's the reality, as Don King said, 
white plus black equals green. Uh, it was Don <laughs> King that promoted the event. He, mm -hmm. you know, he wanted to make all the money. Obviously, Jerry Cooney's people wanted to make money. Larry Holmes always said, I wish there were more Jerry Cooney's around. I would have made way more money. Uh, so it just came to, and really, uh, it's been said by some of the other uh, broadcasters um, in, in, uh, in the boxing world, mm -hmm. boxing is a business disguised as a sport. Yeah, and it certainly was big business for that. Uh, Holmes deserves all the credit because yeah. Holmes uh, basically figured out, I can school this guy, wear this guy down. He's never going to hit me. And he did hit him some, but he's never going to hit me enough for it to really matter. And he deserves a lot of credit for winning that. And by the way, we should make mention too, these guys, for all the whatever pent up uh, animosity and the hype that they don't like each other. They've remained friends oh. four decades later and they go around to memorabilia shows. They appear, they have appeared in the past on TV broadcast together. Larry Holmes and Jerry Cooney are friends to this day. Sean. That again, you know, they met as Larry Holmes said before the bell rang and at the, uh, as the referee was giving instructions, he said to Jerry Cooney, let's have a good fight because once the bell rings, all of the stuff that we're talking about, all of the stuff that goes on around the fight, all the finance, everyone, it, it's just those two guys. And uh, no one on earth can understand, unless they've been there, what they're both facing. And believe me, for Larry Holmes, you could see the way he reacted after the fight. He was concerned. He didn't, no heavyweight goes into a fight of that level convinced they're going to get out unscathed. So um, it was a huge victory. I just feel bad that uh, Jerry Cooney never had a chance. I mean, of course, his management might say, well, if we had gone the way you and I would be thinking, TJ, if, you know, if he had developed himself, he probably would have taken a couple of defeats and um, they wouldn't have made as much money. That's true. And interesting on the Mike Weaver point, I never contemplated that until you were talking about it here. Weaver obviously won the heavyweight, uh, WBA heavyweight version of the championship in a shocking fashion, in a fight still. And I'm a native Tennessean. I think you know this about me, but yeah, I'll repeat yeah. it for the top heavyweights audience. I'm a native of Memphis, Elvis Presley and me, a native of Memphis. Even though Elvis, uh, misconception here, there's a new Elvis, uh, I guess, Netflix movie or documentary coming out or some kind yeah. of new movie coming out. Is about it Netflix Elvis. or is it big? big I'm not sure theater. if it's on the big screen or what it is. Yeah. Elvis is not a Memphis native, by the way. Tupelo, Mississippi native, later moved to Memphis in the music yeah. career. All right. But so Memphis is on the other side of the state of Knoxville, Tennessee. It's eight hours away. Big John Tate was Knoxville, Tennessee's pride and joy. And Mike Weaver knocked John Tate out in a fight that was remarkable for two things. One, Weaver may very well have lost every round, Sean, as you know, of a 15-round heavyweight title fight. John Tate's winning the whole fight every round. Yep. And then it's known for the all-time Tim Murr of Weaver hitting him with a big right hand, and he fell face first and didn't get up for about two minutes yeah, from being – uh, right, right in front of his home audience, too. Yes, in, in Knoxville, Tennessee. So Weaver – Later fought a guy named Michael Dokes, the late Michael Dokes. Uh, I want to say right around the same time period as Holmes Cooney, and Michael Dokes shocked him in one round and knocked him out. And so to your point, I've never contemplated if Cooney had gotten his hands on Mike Weaver, could he physically, literally, figuratively, could he have done the same thing catching Mike Weaver in a one round like Michael Dokes? We will never know. It's a we great will hypothetical. Never know, but uh, that, that would be a debate because Michael Dokes' is one round stoppage of Mike Weaver is considered a controversial stoppage. Nonetheless, I th I think there would be people debating that Mike Weaver would have flattened Jerry Cooney inside of seven or eight rounds because he would have got to him eventually with one of those John Tate shots. 
Uh, because Mike Weaver had a good chin, and uh, he wasn't uh, when he f- when he finished against Michael Dokes. Michael Dokes was throwing his speedy speedy combinations, and uh, the referee stepped in and stopped it. It wasn't like Mike uh, Mike Weaver was on the canvas or going down or falling apart. But I digress. Uh, I think that um, Mike Weaver was a tough guy. He had given Larry Holmes a heck of a fight. And uh, I, I just think that for Jerry's, Jerry Cooney and his people, they made the decision, we can take on Mike Weaver for less money than Larry Holmes, less recognition. But still, we know from sparring, perhaps they knew, Jerry's not exactly the best guy under fire. Sure. And, and Mike Weaver's going to bring the fire and, and at by, some and, point. And by the way, the Holmes payday would have been I'll just say conservatively 10 times more than a Mike Weaver fight for, uh, for, for Jerry Cooney in that same time frame. It's funny. You use that. They saw dollar signs. You see that you use that reference because again, James J. Braddock made 10 times as much money defending against Joe Lewis than he would have made if he had defended against Max Schmeling. So about that, there you go. So it's just, it's about the money. And, uh, and when it does have a, an effect on a fighter's chance to experience the greatness of their potential, it's a shame. Well, good nostalgia on that. We'll wrap on top heavyweights by looking ahead. There was news this week that Anthony Joshua has agreed to a new television deal with DAZN, the television partner of his promoter, Eddie Hearn, and Matchroom Boxing. It is still unclear to me as we sit here, because I reread it again just before we began the podcast. Nowhere in the DAZN announcement does it say that DAZN is going to be the TV broadcaster for the rematch with Alexander Usyk. We believe there is still a fight remaining here for Scott sports that has right. been Joshua's television uh, a partner essentially on pay-per-view throughout his heavyweight run they may end up showing it they may not end up showing it it wasn't clear from what DeZone put out that we're now going to show the Usyk rematch but what do you what do you make of this it, it, does it have some relevance is it on your radar Sean well it's very murky obviously I I feel that until the poster and the promoter and the network and and the fighters themselves acknowledge that there is a date, a venue. They, they're talking about August 13th. They're talking about August 20th. They're talking about the Superdome in Jeddah, in Saudi Arabia, I think right. in Mecca. So there's been all this thrown around, networks changing, difficulties in Eastern Europe. Everything's happening. I don't think... I would, I would question whether people on the very inside of this deal have it all ironed out yet. Just because we're dealing with enormous numbers doesn't mean the same difficulties don't happen that happen with small business deals. Uh, we all have to put deals together and make things work, and it's never as quick as we'd like it to be. I just think they haven't made the deal yet. They're, they're targeting August 20th, but as you say... There has been no confirmation that the zone pay-per-view will be covering Joshua Usyk or Usyk Joshua, excuse me. Mm-hmm. And there's no confirmation that it'll be on pay-per-view on Sky. But I, I would lean towards believing it's going to be on the zone pay-per-view only because they're giving Joshua an enormous pay. He's becoming a partner in the company. He he is not, I believe, obligated to give Sky another pay-per-view. And it's hard to imagine Sky doing the pay-per-view with the knowledge that they won't be doing another one. It's a good point. 
It's a valid point. They, they, so, they, yeah. so two things about this are interesting, at least in the short term. Number one, if you're a U.S. fan, if you're in North America, Sean's in Canada, if you're in yeah. this continent, the fight will be on DAZN because that's Eddie Hearn's deal. The specifics are the U.K. version of this and maybe even a Europe version of this. Yeah. Would Sky Sports have the reach there? So it's only for fans that are in Europe that we're talking about where this makes a difference or a distinction. Here's the bigger point, though. How much of this really matters? This whole talk of lifetime contract, Anthony Joshua with Matchroom Boxing, lifetime deal with DAZN in partnership. How much of that matters, Sean? Obviously, if Alexander Usyk beats him again and beats him decisively, Mm -hmm. none of this really, Southern phrase, amounts to a hill of beans, as we say sometimes in the South, right? If he doesn't win the next fight. Well, if he beats him, I mean, obviously, if Joshua were to I mean, if Joshua were to lose inside of five rounds or some catastrophic, unimaginable occurrence, but let's, I think the way DAZN is going forward, well, first of all, DAZN is a huge financial gamble that is still ongoing. We don't know what's going to happen with that. I think they are rolling the big dice in the sense that they believe Joshua, whether he loses to Usyk by decision or perhaps it's a competitive, excellent fight, There's no doubt. It really depends on how you look at the sport. I was talking to another uh, sports writer recently, and he said, oh, well, you know, Tyson Fury has accomplished this. Why go on? And we've talked about this. Mm -hmm. Uh, Joshua, or why go on? But if you look at Joshua versus Deontay Wilder, or you think about Deontay Wilder versus Usyk, or you think perhaps uh, Joshua versus Joe Joyce, or or even um, Daniel Dubois, or other... There are big fights out there that are not being exploited that would give enormous viewership and revenue. It doesn't have to be the very top of the heavyweight division for it to be a big fight. The only problem we've had for the last two and a half years since things have become difficult in the sports world is that the fights between the number nine guy and the number three guy, the number four guy, the number two guy, those fights have to happen. And when they do happen, they're huge. They're always huge. But um, I think Anthony Joshua, DAZN is making the gamble. And this is where your assessment might not be their assessment. But then again, who knows what they're thinking going forward. They are banking on the fact that currently, next to perhaps um, Alvarez, Canelo, right? Joshua is at the present time the biggest star in the world of boxing. The biggest draw, the biggest powerhouse. So they are gambling on the idea that he will remain so for the next four or five fights, whether he wins or loses against Joshua. And if he wins against Joshua, con- uh, sorry, if he wins against, against Usyk, right, right. against Usyk, excuse me, if he wins against Usyk, convincingly, for them it's jackpot. Of course, um, it's jackpot. Right. So I think they're rolling the dice. Um, it is true. I mean, can you imagine Anthony Joshua in a major? heavyweight fight even if he lost to Joshua could you imagine in the future if he was fighting I mean we could say Luis Ortiz but everyone makes fun of him uh you know but let's say he was fighting a Daniel Dubois who had won a few more times and let's say it was would people not watch certainly in the UK they would watch Joshua would Dubois watch it. it's the American audience which is and 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 by the way Deontay Wilder made a very good point he said without an American at the top or near the top of the heavyweight division, the heavyweight division is severely weakened. He's right about that. Agreed. And I can I can say for sure. I w- we'd love to have a heavyweight champion from the United States. 
Right now, uh, that's not looking too low. No, it's not, it's not in the offing for the moment, but at least the top contender or two to kick around that could yeah. be in contention for it and maybe fight for it would be good, whether that's Wilder or somebody else. We've got to get out of here yeah. in a moment or two. You, you alluded to Derek Chisora and Kubrat Pulev. Can I confess mm. something to you? Yeah. That doesn't do anything for me. Chisora okay. hasn't won a significant fight in like four or five years. Pulev hasn't won a significant fight in four or five years. They are aging guys. Uh, I almost I almost feel badly in Chisora's case where he's taken some punishment, et cetera. How much more? Nine career losses. That's just my thought on that. And that fight's coming in July, and they had the press conference earlier this week at the time we're releasing the podcast. Counterpoint me if you like. Counterpunch me. Counterpunch <laughs> me, Sean, if you want. No, uh, I agree with you. Uh, the it is a significant heavyweight fight. It's uh, it's really it's really Kubrat Pulev marching. He you know he fought uh, Jerry Forrest and he looked very good in that fight, frankly. And he's continuing to step forward and he's going to use Derek Chisora as his next step. He honestly believes he's going to take another run at the top. If he if he now do I believe that this fight is going to attract massive casual audience? No. Do I believe it will do? pretty well and and have a packed arena and the, and the undercard by the way is forming and it looks like it's going to be a heavyweight undercard so they're they're going to be putting this together as a heavyweight package i think that's what they're looking at the whole card like you're going to have fabio wardley fighting uh, solomon dakers these are the other undefeated prospects that are coming up so no i can't sell <laughs> Derek chisora kubrat pulev as a, a massive main event and that's not the kind of fight i was referring to i guess what i was referring to by saying exciting fights below the top if Andy Ruiz was fighting Luis Ortiz in Mexico City at a stadium, that's going to be a big event. I think mm-hmm. a lot of people, especially in your part of the uh, the neck of the woods, uh, southern um, in, in Florida, where right. uh, Ortiz is based, and I believe he has a big following there. So, well, and, no. and bear in mind, again, this is a former unified champion in Ruiz who's only fought one fight, Uno, since he lost to Anthony Joshua. There's a lot of mystery around him. There's been talk that if Ruiz beats Ortiz, follow the bouncing ball with the Hispanic names. If Ruiz beats Ortiz, Ruiz would fight Deontay Wilder next, that they were always trying to make that fight, yeah. and that fight might actually happen as a contender fight down the road so yeah it could be there's some intrigue there too it could be an eliminator i mean uh i i find it amazing the way pbc is doing things i mean they say they're trying to do this they're trying to do that are they not the ones in charge of these heavyweights uh, in terms of what they do (laughs) i don't know what efforts required i mean luis ortiz did knock out charles martin that was back in january we're now in june why anyways that's the frustration of being a heavyweight boxing fan. Why, why haven't they announced these fights? What's going on? Everyone seems to be waiting and waiting and waiting, and the rest of us are told to hurry up and wait. Uh, is there anything else on the uh, on the? Oh, unfortunately, Huey Fury and Michael Hunter has been uh, right. We did talk about we that, right? That. Right, right. Uh, also, Justice Hooney just won a uh, won the vacant. Uh, he won two vacant titles in the South Pacific. He bought beat Joe Goodall by a solid ten round decision. That was a big event in Australia that just happened. Uh, obviously, Lucas Brown is waiting for his next phone call. We shall see what happens, my friend. Yeah, and Daniel Dubois waiting on a phone call and some others too. Deontay Wilder is an interesting one. I still maintain, as we get out of here, that I don't know that he ever fights again. I I think comfort level, money, he's made it. He's almost 37 years old. I don't know because the other part of it is – if the mindset is I need $20 million to get back in the ring, who's that fight against in the short term? Who, who, I mean, that's crazy. That's just me speculating and saying well, he won't and, get and conjecture. 20, he won't get 20 million, but no, he's, again, he's gonna, again, we, 
I, I think what you're saying could be right. What I'm thinking might be right. I think we have to put it down to athleticism, a need to try, a need to win, a need to challenge life, a need to do better than I did before. He, and do you want the last two things on your resume to be knockout losses to Tyson Fury? Because the last two fights are knockout losses to Tyson Fury. Do you yeah. want that so to be so, the end? So yeah. what do you think, TJ, what do you think the odds are of, of Deontay Wilder fighting again? I, I would think I think it, it's a, I think it's 100%. You God, you're way overconfident. I would go like 15% that we see him again. You would go 100. I, I would, would go 15%, not not zero, but I would go 15% that we see him again. Just because his belief would be who's given me 20 million or 15 million, the answer is nobody. And what does he have left to prove? The only thing would be do I want to have the end of my career, the punctuation be I got knocked out twice by Tyson Fury twice and I retired. I don't know. I don't what know if I, that eats at it. I don't know. Uh, you know, you're right. It's hard for me to say. It's like Andy Ruiz Jr. He made so much money off that rematch with Joshua. People question whether he is, in fact, still in the mindset or the athletic uh, right. mindset to actually come back. So he fought Chris. But Ariola. he's to, to your counterpoint, he's yeah. younger. He's already fought again since he lost to Joshua. Fought once. He's, just, he's slated to fight again this summer. He's got reasons to continue to go on. Wilder had so many defenses. Again, I don't have any insight on this. Deontay yeah. Wilder may be ready to sign next week, Sean, and fight this fall. And your 100% turns out to be right on the money. But I just, I got to wait and yeah. see. I got to wait and see, see that there, happen. There, neither one of us has the inside scoop on this one. I just can't imagine Deontay Wilder having spent his career building himself to be a pay-per-view fighter uh, if he was on network television, it would be huge ratings. It's hard for me to believe that he reached that level because of two defeats to just stop everything. Um, that's hard right. for me to imagine. I'm looking at heavyweight heavyweight history, and I don't see any examples. Well, <laughs> look at Michael Spinks. He got knocked out by Mike Tyson in Correct. 90 seconds, and he never came back. But I think, and he got a whole lot, lot, a whole lot less money relative than what Fury, even with inflation and the <laughs> and the and the escalation of of purses over the course of thirty years or so, right. Michael Spinks got a whole lot of money, but did not want to come back and try to fight for it anymore, and said, "That's it, I'm good." On a no, one round knockout, uh, you know, it's again, you know, this is. I, <laughs> Maybe I'm hopeful because I consider I don't want to see anyone get hurt, but I'm mm -hmm. hopeful. I do enjoy. I'm a Deontay Wilder fan. I don't want him to disappear. That's the most someone. electric right hand in the division, bar none still, yeah. if he wants to get back in there. We both yeah. agree on that. But I just, I just hope does he, he, want um, does he want it. And that's the question. I think from what he said, and I have to give people – you got to give people the benefit of the doubt of what from what they've said. He has said he wants to come back and make a statement – I believe that's true, but you could be right. It could be a non-starter because the money's not there. We shall see. Is there anything else, TJ? On the I think we're good on this edition yeah. of uh, Heavyweights.com, the podcast. Again, uh, we've covered a bunch, including the nostalgia part of this. Let's come back and do this again. Uh, we'll be talking a little bit about the Tyson Holyfield bite night rematch because again the 25th anniversary is coming up and you've got and you've got a hat and you've got a story <laughs> i do i do that's right. a good tease for a later on podcast yeah. for now though i think we're good because we've covered uh current fights we've covered nostalgia we've covered what might yeah. be in the future make another quick prediction will we eddie hearn is in the same mode right now that he was 
back in the in the early part of 2021 and, and the spring of 2021 of we'll have an announcement next week, mate. We'll have an announcement yeah, yeah, next yeah. week, mate. Where's the announcement on Joshua Usyk? Because I see history repeating right now that they, the investors, won't come up with all the money. They can't lock this down. And we're wasting time in the summer of 2022 when the fight could be announced and could be set. So are we going to be it's, talking in a couple of weeks again that they still haven't made this fight yet, Sean, real quick, well, Joshua well, Usyk? Well, frankly, if, if the next time we get together, which is in about two weeks, um, if they haven't announced anything, if nothing's been announced, I think we should just not say anything about it. Because <laughs> and maybe would, that'll make it happen. Maybe, maybe that'll make it happen. No, it's, it's, like, it's like watching water boil. Um, True. But Hearn, Hearn killed all of us figuratively in January and February and March of last year with we'll have an announcement on Fury and Joshua next week. We'll have an announcement next week. We'll have an announcement. There was never an announcement coming because he couldn't get it figured out. And because Fury was in an arbitration case with Deontay Wilder. And so we've been talking about the rematch of Usyk and Joshua for two months, and there's not an official date yet, and we're reliving the same thing. I'm just saying that in close. We are covering the most frustrating division in sports. <laughs> That's what we're covering. And the reason it's great and the reason it sucks is because it's very much like real life. Real life yeah. is right there, and the money is big, and... All we can do is hope. I know that right now on the top heavyweight schedule, I believe there's three upcoming bouts that you know are at that level of at least mild to higher interest. But there's no doubt it's a frustrating time. There's so much potential, but um, we just have to just hurry up and wait. Yeah, let's get some fights made. I think yeah, you let's and I get them made. That. Let's and I, and I hope that by the time we talk in two weeks, the schedule is loaded up and we have heard what's going to happen with the Usyk Joshua rematch. And let's get back to the business of uh, enjoying the big fights. All right. I love it. Uh, Sean, thank you, as always. You. Appreciate it. And again, however you found this podcast, social media link off the topheavyweights.com website, uh, through us at Big Fight Weekend and our website and our social media, make sure you're following or subscribing on this feed. Find the Big Fight Weekend podcast feed because Top Heavyweights comes along. Right now, we're about every other week coming along with heavyweight news and recaps as the fights are more prominent. We'll be around maybe more frequently down the road. You'll get it automatically if you're following or subscribing on the Big Fight Weekend podcast feed. You don't need any help to find us. We'll be here. Sean. We're, we're here and we will try to keep it relevant. I mean, the, the fact is if the heavyweight division is slow, we'll be slower. But if the heavy, heavyweight division starts picking up steam, then we'll be faster. We'll be and as always, stay engaged with his social media and his site, Top Heavyweights and TopHeavyweights.com. For Sean from Top Heavyweights, I'm TJ Reeves. Thank you for being with us on TopHeavyweights.com, the podcast.